and welcome to the podcast version of COS Live, a weekly program keeping you up to date on the Article 5 movement working to reclaim liberty in America. You can watch the original live broadcasts on Convention of States Rumble, YouTube, Facebook, and X. And now, here's COS Live. Hello, COS supporters. Welcome back to another edition of COS Live. My name is Andrew Lush. I'll be your host. And of course, I'm joined by Rita Peters, who is my co-host, but she is also the Senior Vice President for Legislative Affairs. Rita, it is wonderful to be back with you. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Andrew, and great to be back with you to do another show. Happy to be here. Right, and we have a great show lined up. We get to watch a wonderful hearing uh, that happened in Ohio. And by the way, Rita, do we have any Ohioans today on this call? I certainly hope we do. Drop us a comment. Let us know if you're from the great state of Ohio. But let us know if you're not from Ohio, what state you're, you're in. And tell us what your favorite thing about Article 5 is, what your favorite thing about Convention of States is. And maybe you'll get featured on our next mailbag edition. Uh, today, Rita, we are going to be talking about that great um, that great hearing that uh, took place in Ohio. We're going to show the entire uh, hearing so that our viewers can see what exactly happened. We also have, um, it's going to be a little different today, Rita, because we're going to be showing the entire hearing. We're skipping the mailbag and we're also skipping on the Article 5 trivia question with Mike Ruthenberg, but that doesn't take away from the uh, great show that we have lined up because we do have a special guest, Catherine Zamonic, who is uh, the regional director for the state of Ohio. So we're going to be getting her perspective on what's going on in Ohio. She's going to be giving us all of the important information. Of course, she's going to loop us in on what's going on with the team as well. So that's going to be really exciting. Can't wait to get to that. But Rita, we do have we do have the latest edition of COS now. So let's go to that before we get to Catherine Zamonic. So it's time to get up to date with Convention of States. Roll the newest edition of COS Now. On November 10th, Politico magazine ran a new fear-laden attack against our Convention of States movement, and it's truly the height of modern journalism, if, that is, we're defining journalism as just making things up. Clickbait headlines and generally lazy reporting slanted against an American viewpoint designed to gin up fear and trembling. We gotta admit, Politico just blew the lid off our effort to, quote, gut the Constitution. After all, gutting the Constitution has been the DC establishment's job over the past century, using executive orders, unelected bureaucrats, lawyers in black robes, and all manner of unconstitutional usurpations in order to expand the federal leviathan and insert its tentacles into every aspect of American life. It would be just crazy if ordinary Americans organized around a solution gifted by the Founding Fathers in order to bypass an oppressive Congress and propose ideas supported by a supermajority of Americans regardless of political affiliation, ethnicity, or age bracket. Good night, they might be Christians or something. Just days after that hit piece was released, the Ohio House Government Oversight Committee held a hearing for the COS Action Resolution, which has been adopted by 19 states so far. The current system in Washington has established career politicians whose greed has been on display over the past several years especially. I believe we need to limit the power of our large overreaching federal government, break up the ties that an elected official has in the legislative branch and its stakeholders through term limits. HJR 3 would join Ohio to an ongoing call for a convention of states to be called under Article 5 of the Constitution of the United States. Article 5 is an important constitutional tool that our founders gave us and created for states to hold our federal government accountable. Ohio has a lengthy committee process, but this is an important step toward final victory. And finally, Convention of States Foundation premiered a new short film about their Article 5 convention simulation. The goal is to educate citizens and legislators alike about the Article 5 convention process. The movie event features never-before-seen footage and interviews with the participants. You can watch that program in its entirety at conventionofstates.com forward slash sim. And now, you're up to date with Convention of States. That latest edition of COS Now was put together by Garrett Humbertson, or we like to call him Producer G, the man behind the curtain. Rita, what was your favorite tidbit from that montage? Okay, well, I was um, having to stop myself from cracking up laughing at Producer G's wonderful, <laughs> pithy comments about those leftist attacks on the Convention of States movement. So I just want to comment on that for a moment. You know, they, they say things like, we want to gut the Constitution, remake the Constitution, or rewrite the Constitution. And Andrew, what I want people to recognize is 
this is really insulting to the American people that the people who make those comments that an Article 5 Convention of States is about gutting or rewriting the Constitution, they must think that we're really stupid, you know, because we can all look at Article 5 and read it for ourselves. It is not very long. It's not terribly complicated. And two things will stand out immediately to anyone who just reads Article 5. The first thing is that Article 5 is about a convention with regard to a convention. It gives it the power to propose amendments, not to rewrite the Constitution, not to make a new Constitution. It gives it the power to propose amendments. That's the first thing. The second thing that will be readily apparent to anyone who just reads Article 5 itself is that this convention to propose amendments just has the same exact power as Congress has every single day to propose amendments. It is no greater or no different power than that. And so why is it that we think Congress hasn't been gutting the Constitution or rewriting the Constitution, at least not doing it in black and white, right? It tries to do that by its interpretations all the time. But Article 5 isn't about a new constitutional convention. It's not about gutting, remaking, or rewriting anything. It's just about proposing amendments, and then it tells us how those amendments have to be ratified, which is, by the way, by 38 states to ratify anything. So that's all. I just had to get that out, Andrew. It just, you know, it drives me crazy to see the leftist folks in the media being so insulting to the American people. How about you? What stood out to you today? Well, I have to comment on that because... You're absolutely right. And and anytime the left finger points and they're saying that this group is doing this, they want to gut the Constitution. Well, actually, they're the ones that are usually wanting to gut the Constitution. They have no respect for the Constitution. They see it as a, as a weapon for power. They see it as a tool to uh, enrich themselves and to empower themselves. And like you said, the way that the federal government has been gutting the Constitution for decades now is through interpretation, through Supreme Court interpretation. And so Really, you need to look to your own base, to your own group of people before you start pointing the finger and saying that we at Convention of States and our 2.5 million petition signers are seeking to gut the Constitution, rewrite the Constitution, or have a brand new Constitution. No, all we want to do is we want to use the Constitution, the power that's been granted to us through Article 5, to uh, get amendments that would put the federal government back in the constitutional box that it was always intended to be. And so I'm just as insulted as you are, Rita, because that article is not pointing the finger just at Mark and, and at, at the leadership of Convention of States. It's pointed at the people as well, because the people want to live within a government that is not weaponized against them. They want to work or they want to live in a government that treats everyone equally. And we're just not seeing that right now. So. Couldn't agree more with you, Rita. Uh, it's, a, it's a shame that we see articles like this. But, you know, you can't help but laugh. I love that uh, Producer G, he, all he did was mock them and, and show that they really are the ones who are, who are crazy and who want to, uh, who don't have the best interests of Americans in mind. So I don't know. I don't have any more to say uh, about that, Rita. Why don't we uh, go over to our uh, Ohio hearing? Because there was, there was a few comments in that hearing that I think we want to comment on. Similar to that, that article that we saw, there's uh, some lies there and some, um, some interesting comments about Convention of States and Article 5. Okay, folks. So this was a hearing of the Ohio House Government Oversight Committee on our Article 5 application as sponsored by Convention of States Action. The hearing was held at the Capitol there in Columbus, Ohio. Representatives Bernard Willis and Rorden McLean introduced the resolution and then answered questions from the committee. Those are our two co-sponsors on the House side there. No citizen testimony was taken in this particular hearing, 
but there were several volunteers in attendance and you can spot them in the background. You will recognize some of them with their COS buttons or swag on. And I want to invite you to stay tuned after you watch the footage of the hearing and our two sponsors talking about our application, because after that footage ends, we will have a recap and reaction from our regional director, Catherine Zamanik. House Joint Resolution Number 3, uh, Sponsor Testimony, Representative McLean and Representative Willis, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Chairman, for having us. Good afternoon, uh, Chairman Peterson, Vice Chair Thomas, Ranking Member Humphrey, and members of the committee. Thank you for the opportunity to present House Joint Resolution 3 to you today. The gravity and importance of this topic cannot be understated. I thank you in advance for the thoughtful consideration that you will give it. It is my opinion that to save and preserve our great union, we must go down this difficult path. I'm here again today to urge this body to join the growing number of states in this union to call a convention of states under Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. I've come to this position reluctantly with much, much research, deliberation, and prayer. This provision in Article 5 was placed into our Constitution in case of emergency as a position of last legal resort. It is there in the case that the federal government would become too expansive, too intrusive, and too unaccountable to the states. Simply put, I argue to you all today that the federal government is too expansive, too intrusive, and too unaccountable to the states, and the time is at hand. I would bet at some point over the, over the course of the last few presidential administrations that everyone in the room here would have thought they were the ideas coming out of D.C. were authoritarian. This is not about partisan differences. This is about state sovereignty. Think about how, time, how often we discuss bills in this House and come to a point where we find that we will lose federal funds unless we perform X, Y, or Z. Dependence on the federal funds cannot be an option. HJR 3 would join Ohio to an ongoing call for a convention of states to be called under Article 5 of the Constitution of the United States. Article 5 is an important constitutional tool that our founders gave us and created for states to hold our federal government accountable. The size and scope of the federal government has grown consistently throughout the history of this nation, with more and more responsibility being abdicated by Congress to federal agency rulemaking and executive orders. It has long been unsustainable, and we have waited long enough for Congress to fix itself. Our government was always meant to be bottom-up, not top-down. Our federal government was supposed to have very limited powers, yet has amassed more and more than our founders ever envisioned. Uh, for, for the reminder of you all and for the knowledge of anybody who's listening, Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution provides a method for the states to propose amendments to the Constitution. Article 5 lays out how to amend the U.S. Constitution. It, it provides two paths. One being through Congress, the other, if Congress fails to act, the states may choose to do so. For this to be initiated, 34 states, two-thirds of the states, must pass a resolution such as the one before you today uh, on the same uh, common subject matter. Once 34 states have done so, Congress must call a convention in which each state sends its own delegates to attend. After deliberation and debate, each state receives one vote on any proposed amendment to the Constitution or at the convention to the Constitution. Proposed amendments germane to the call require a simple majority vote, 26 at the current uh, number of states that we have of 50. The process is not over then. The final stopgap, the, the past amendments must be ratified by 38 three-fourths of the states. Therein, this process is not easy and cannot be partisan. Simply put, to, to amend the U.S. Constitution, you need very broad support across this country. It is protected from partisan, divisive attempts to amend. Our call, HJR 3, calls an amending convention limited to proposing amendments that, one, impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, 
a balanced budget amendment. Two, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. And three, limit the terms of office for its officials and members of Congress of the United States. Those are the three subject areas that would be germane to the convention that we are calling. House Joint Resolution 3 is incredibly important to Ohio and the future of, these, of, of America. We've watched as federal government in D.C. have grown not only in size but in control and, and wealth in the D.C. area. Again, this is not a political partisan debate, but rather one of the only mechanisms to restore the balance of state rights. I'm just going to highlight one, one of the issues that we're talking about discussing, uh, one of the issues that the states have no control over, and that's the federal budget. On the fiscal restraints issue, otherwise known as the balanced budget, as you all know, we have to abide by here in the state of Ohio. We have to pass a balanced budget, something we always go back home and we're proud of. Federal government has no means to do so. In just the last four years, last four years alone, we've added roughly $9 trillion to our national debt just with surplus deficit budgets. In 2020, I'll step through the years. In 2020, the government spent $6.6 trillion, bringing in only $3.4 trillion. That's a $3.2 trillion deficit. In 2021, we spent $6.8 when we brought in four. In 2022, we spent $6.5 we brought in $5 trillion. And in 2023, that just ended, <clears throat> we spent $6.1 trillion and brought in $4.4 trillion. In fact, over the last 50 years, if we zoom out and look at the last 50 years, our federal government has run a fiscal year deficit 45 times out of 50. The last time we had a budget surplus federally was 2001. I was a junior in high school. 23 years ago. I've, in, I've attached a couple of the graphs there that just show you <clears throat> the outrageous increases, not only in our deficits, but in our national debt. We cannot continue at this pace. I gave testimony uh, two years ago on this same bill. At that point, we were 28.8 trillion uh, US national debt. Today, we stand at 33.7. Within the next five years, the interest payment alone, not even factoring in the debt we owe, the interest on that debt will likely exceed over $1 trillion per year and be one of the largest federal expenditures, passing our defense spending. Simply put, this is not sustainable. To think that our fiat currency, the U.S. dollar, is invincible is a fool's errand. And if we do not change course uh, to sound monetary policy, the consequences will be severe. The only time in recent history that Congress addressed spending issues was in the 90s, following a concerted effort by the states to call a convention for a balanced budget. In the 80s, it was led by then President Reagan, who received momentum and nearly, nearly, not fully, nearly 34 states initiated a call for a convention on a balanced budget before Congress acted. At that time, there was even a senator, a then-senator from Delaware, named Joe Biden, who raised economic disaster alarms about the deficits and worked across the aisle to restore restraints to the federal government spending. Without the continued pressure, those years were few, and Congress quickly went back to spending unabated. We believe it's imperative to the ongoing success of this great nation for Ohio to join the list of 19 other states listed at the end of my testimony that have already passed a similar resolution to hold the federal government accountable. Uh, at my last sponsor testimony two years ago, we were at 15. Today we stand at 19. Four additional states have subsequently passed. There are Wisconsin, Nebraska, West Virginia, and South Carolina. So I've, I've laid out the case uh, for, for why, in essence, we need this. But the, the real question at hand for all of us to consider and for our nation to consider is do you believe that our nation is on a path of peril or not? I believe the answer to that question is obvious for the reasons I listed and many more. So based on that fact, what do we do about it before it's too late? What is the solution? Some will come in and say that we need to elect better people to make the right changes. I would argue that time has proven that ineffective and we cannot elect enough members to Congress or to the Oval Office to address these real concerns of the states. 
who are the owners of this Constitution. Some say that we are too divided as a nation to hold a convention and to pass anything that will get through. And we don't know what may come through uh, and from a convention, from a divided nation. The process itself forces overwhelming support for anything that is produced. Maybe nothing will come from a convention due to our current partisan divide. That is a possibility. But I do believe that we have men and women of our time that are capable of rising to the task at hand to enact the change and garner the support necessary to write this great experiment in self-government. Do not deceive yourself that we are fine. Every generation must keep it. I'm going to conclude um, with the words from President Reagan in a letter to uh, Lou Euler back in 1994 when the states were gathering support for the balanced budget amendment. He writes, Lou, it is clear that we must rely on the states to force Congress to act. Fortunately, our nation's founders gave us the means to amend the Constitution through action of state legislatures, which you have widely pursuing, which you have been widely pursuing. Unless we act quickly, the people in the White House and those running Congress will bankrupt America. The good, honest, productive people of America are frightened and angry. They must get behind you in this effort. Our opportunity has never been greater. Those words were written nearly 30 years ago and nearly 29 trillion less in debt. And they couldn't be more true today. Reagan ended his letter as I'll end with you as well. As I have said before, if not now, when? And if not us, who? It's my hope that this committee will give this proposal the serious consideration it deserves. It's time the states force Congress once again to act. And if they won't, we must. Again, thank you for the opportunity. I'll pass to my joint sponsor. Thank you, Chairman Peterson, Vice Chair Thomas, Ranking Member Humphrey, and the members of the committee. I'd like to thank you for this opportunity to speak to House Joint Resolution 3, which is an imperative resolution. This is urging Congress to call for this Convention of States under Article 5 of the Constitution. The Convention of States is going to focus on three main issues, and realizing that I'm repeating them because they need repeated. We need to make sure that, first and foremost, we have a balanced budget. One of the things that I've watched for my entire adult life go worse and worse and worse. Limiting power and jurisdiction of the federal government in some way, shape, or form, which is unhinged at this point. And I hate to stand as a person who spent the majority of my adult life in active military service to tell you that the federal government is severely broken. We are also trying to ensure that term limits for federal legislators and some others potentially would be pushed through a convention of states. If this is passed in Ohio, the resolution just encourages more states around us to go into this effort, reining in our federal government and offering more power back to the states and reestablishing states' rights, which are evident. I jointly sponsored House Re Re Joint Resolution 3 and greatly appreciate the leadership of Representative McLean because this is not his first rodeo with this. He has been he has mounted this charge and has been at the forefront of it for some time. Greatly appreciate the opportunity to be able to join with that because as I look back, I find it completely baffling that we are where we are with our federal elected officials who are clearly incapable of balancing a budget and in a budget that is pro progressively getting worse. We have to have accountability when it comes to decisions about those budgets and spending as our citizens, taxpayers, every day are being directly impacted on our state and local monetary level. Poor decisions from government overreach and regulations that come from that can stunt or even cripple the great business growth and economic development that our state and nation have seen. As elected officials in our state, it's our responsibility to take this initiative into our own hands if the federal government refuses to do so on their own terms. Next, H.A.R. 3, it's a tool for us as a state to urge Congress, and you heard some of the historical implications of that. I'll take you back to also saying that 
I was just a graduating senior from high school whenever the last time there was a great push of states in our nation actually got the Congress of the United States to do something. And out of that, we actually had what was called then the Balanced Budget and Emergency Deficit Control Act of 1985. Some will better recognize that as Graham Rudman Hollings. And realizing that that put a timetable on that, that by the time that I was actually sworn into that federal service for my, the rest of my career in 1991, they were required and mandated to balance the budget before that fiscal year was complete. And you might ask yourself whether they ever completed that task. Now, the one thing I will say about that is the reason why we got a balanced budget and emergency deficit control act at the federal level was because the states were saying, and as you heard, many high um, esteem, highly esteemed people were talking about this problem then, which has not gotten any better close to 40 years later. And here we are 30 years prior when it was supposed to have been done. And here we are, deeply indebted. The current system in Washington has established career politicians whose greed has been on display over the past several years, especially. I believe we need to limit the power of our large overreaching federal government, break up the ties that an elected official has in the legislative branch and its stakeholders through term limits, like we have in Ohio. Representative McLean and I find it's necessary to expand the concept further through the resolution and promoting conversations in Ohio about limiting power by restricting jurisdiction, creating those fiscal boundaries and establishing those term limits so that we do have fresh ideas that are coming in and not the same freshly paid politicians that are staying in the, the uh, seats that they are in. Our founding fathers of this country created a path for the states to reclaim their power in anticipation of federal government overreach. This was implemented with the purpose of reigning in the federal government and Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution provides us the power to call a convention of states whereby we then propose such amendments so that we can retain the power of our states. This resolution, as you heard, will join Ohio with numerous additional states. As my colleague already mentioned, there are many out there who are also in the same place that we are, hoping to help rein in our federal government. I want to greatly thank Representative McLean for his leadership sponsoring the resolution again, spearheading what is a nationwide campaign within our own state. Now, thank you for your consideration of House Joint Resolution 3 and happy to attempt to answer any questions you might have. Thank you both for your testimony. Are there questions for the witnesses? Representative Humphreys. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you both um, for being here. I have a two-part question, Mr. Chairman. But the first part of the question is, uh, I just am curious. I wanted to know what has been some of the feedback from, um, I'm assuming, and I'm sure you probably have, but some of the feedback from uh, constituents that you have talked to about um, HJR 3. And then I'll ask the second question after you respond. Thank you for the question through the chair. Um, this is an issue that when you talk, when I, in my district, when I go around and talk to people in Ohio, unilaterally, federal government is out of control. No, no question. That, that, that is, that is uh, the consensus of my constituents. When we talk about the resolution, and, and I think that there, there are questions out there about calling a convention of states. This is not a common occurrence for the federal government, for Congress. To do. Now, now, a convention is not a, a unique idea. They happen regularly between states. There's much historical precedence for a convention. I think that the, just the average uh, individual in the state of Ohio knows the federal government is out of control, is looking for opportunities to rein them in, knowing that what we've tried in the past through elections, electing the right people, is not getting us to where we need to be. And once, they, once this Article 5 is explained, I've gotten overwhelming support. Um, so that's my personal experience. If I could say also, uh, Ranking Member, people at this point are just looking for a method to get back something that they feel like they've lost. Um, whether that is through the regulations that have come down, the things that, as Representative McLean said, the state typically is required to do because of federal funding and the trickle down that comes in there. 
but they're also looking for ways to ensure that their families and their future and their children and their grandchildren will have a country that they can count on financially that has not just crumbled under the weight of its own debt. And so by and large, although there is a definite education process on what this really means, um, when someone tells you how are you helping me um, when it comes to all of this federal government overreach and the things that are happening, uh, my answer back to them is, have you ever looked at Article 5 of the Constitution? And then explaining very simply that that is how the states actually take the power back so that then your local elected and state elected representatives can actually do things better for you at the local and state level. They, they get that, but you're right. I think you're, what you're getting at is there's definitely going to be an education process of what this means for our voters and the people in Ohio. Your next question. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for your responses. The next question is just kind of, um, it was specifically geared towards the term limits piece for Congress. Um, and, and this is obviously hypothetical, but the question is, is um, if this is enacted, is are there any provisions in the bill or would you be willing to put provisions in the bill to kind of, um, I guess kind of further smooth or streamline the process for the change to take place with regard to changing, you know, you know, ending term limits or whatever the case may be, or in, uh, imposing term limits. Thank you for the question, ranking member, and through the chair. For the call that we're making, it is important that we match identically with other calls. So I, I think in terms of, of the wording on the resolution, it needs to stay as put. What you're referring to really goes into what is going to happen at the convention. It, once a convention is called, we're not, we're not saying what the term limits should be. We're saying that, that term limits for members of Congress and for administrative folks in the federal government are open for debate. Delegates at this convention are able to discuss different ideas. We have term limits here in Ohio. There's, there's good things about term limits. There's bad things about term limits. They need to be debated. We need to come up with ideas and, and acknowledge what it all entails. And so in terms of, of we're not prescribing anything <clears throat> about term limits. We're saying that this is something that we want a convention to discuss. We see people going to D.C. and never leaving. We want to discuss ways that we can reasonably give them time to operate, but maybe put a limit on that. And so we're just making the call. We want to call a convention to have those robust debates with our delegates from Ohio, with delegates from every other state in this great nation. Thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. You know, there's a saying that says, if you don't remember your history, you're bound to repeat the mistakes of the past. Um, my question is, 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 let me frame it real quick. The Civil War, one of the driving factors of the Civil War was this whole issue of states' rights. Uh, I read where basically the southern states wanted to assert their authority over the federal government so they could abolish federal laws that they did not support, especially laws interfering with the South's right to keep slaves and take them wherever they wished. I never thought I would see a January 6th is what we saw, which was an assault on the federal government. So my question to you is, aren't you concerned that State A may choose to do whatever simply because they're not satisfied with a regulation that's been put forth by the federal government. Aren't you concerned about all of the various regulatory concerns that the federal government is like a protection, air quality, water quality, food inspection, and on and on and on. So if every state had its own regulations, aren't you concerned that that could cause a serious problem? Banking regulations, all of that, aren't you concerned about that? 
if I could, uh, through, through the chair to the member. So those are all concerns that we share. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to your, your best example of just, you know, uprising. Um, January 6th, I was still a qualified federal law enforcement officer who was packing his bags that day to head toward D.C. if needed. Um, understanding that that was well outside the law. That was well outside any constitutional authority. That was well outside anything that we would want to have happening, certainly anywhere, but in, a, in the nation's capital of all places. The other places where I, I mentioned state rights, states' rights many times, because they're mentioned in the, the U.S. Constitution also. And the idea here is not necessarily that we're opening Pandora's box to say that, well, the states are just going to be able to do whatever they want. We're saying that the founding fathers said, hey, you know what? We need a safety valve inside our own constitution that tells the states whenever they all disagree that the, that the government is moving in the right direction, that they have the ability to actually change the constitution. So similar to the voters in Ohio making an amendment to the Constitution of Ohio because of something that they wanted, something that they saw that was desperately needed inside the state. We have a large number of states, a growing number of states that see the same kind of issue focus at the, the federal government. And so a convention call doesn't open Pandora's box. And one of the things that um, I will um, tell all of you is this is a very, very focused event. And because of the fact that each one of the states are asked to make a call for a convention of states based on some very specific terms, those are the only things that are allowed to be discussed at that convention. So you can't have state X that shows up and says, well, we want to talk about this. I'm like, well, if you wanted to talk about that, you need to get two-thirds of the rest of the states to agree with you and make a call for a convention that deals with that. And this is another part of that education process of what does it really mean? Are, are we just opening up the books and saying, well, we're going to rewrite the U.S. Constitution? Absolutely not. We are taking a specific line article in the Constitution that says when two-thirds of the states agree that the federal government's going in the wrong direction, they have a legal constitutional method to go about changing specific things to make it happen in the way that the state's majority agrees should happen. And it's just about having the convention. Because remember, as Representative McLean have said, this is just the call to have the convention. What happens at the convention is then a completely different process whereby you make any specifics that need to be made. Instead of just hey, at this point, we're calling for a discussion on term limits. At the convention, they'll get to define what that best means by all of the representatives from those states. And for anything to happen after that, remember, it then has to be ratified by even a higher number of states to make that change to the U.S. Constitution. Hope that helps. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to leave you alone. Thank yes, sir. You. Uh, Representative Geralds with a question. Thank you, Chair. I'm not. Um, so I... Uh, I'm trying to understand, um, there seems to be some amb ambiguity, because I'm looking, try, I was, when, you were, before, when you were testifying, I looked into um, the convention states, and currently in our constitution, there really isn't any uh, process in terms of delegate selection, uh, the, uh, there just seems to be like an absence of rules related to the, how the process will take place. Doesn't that raise any serious concerns for you all about potential undemocratic and unrepresentative amendments being proposed and ratified? Because there there's just really isn't any rules to figure out beyond the one person, one state, one state, one person. Beyond that, there really isn't much else in terms of the structure of how this would even happen. Um, what, what are the rules in place for states to abide by? Uh, and I'm hearing you say that each um, state has agreed on the language that's presented in the current bill that you all are introducing. Um, I, I haven't seen every single state's uh, resolution. Are you sure every single resolution passed by the other 19 states is the same verbiage? Yeah, thank you for the question uh, through the chair. Um, yeah, it, it is very important and it, it is the responsibility of Congress to accumulate the calls uh, to make a number, they, they've in actuality uh, been 
negligent in, in providing a number of what the various calls, because this, the three-prong call where we're asking for three subject matters is different than, say, a standalone fiscal restraints call, balanced budget. That exists, too. There are multiple calls that are out there for various purposes. Not specific to this, but I do think it is important for Congress to put a number on those calls, where they are at, what the scoreboard is for the various calls throughout the state. In terms of the rules, the, the Constitution for this process does not lay out every aspect of the process. We have right. much historical precedent, though, for what conventions have been called, what the process is um, for the we meet as a body, as an elected body here. We, we operate under a set of rules, Robert's rules, Mason's rules. There are many parliamentary procedures that go into the, to the process that any entity partakes in. Um, mm -hmm. So there is much precedent for, for conventions and, and the way they would flush out. And I think in terms of what comes out of a convention, we don't know. That, that is for the delegates that go there, that the states appoint to go on behalf of them. It is a, I can't understate this enough, it is a high bar. If you can show me a, a, a divisive policy or a divisive plan that's going to get 38 states in this United States to agree, I would argue that. To get 38 states to agree on anything today, I would say on anything, whether, the weather, whether it's sunny out today, it, it would be difficult to get 38 states to agree on the same idea. So... Uh, this is going to take people who truly care about this nation, who truly look into the issues of this nation mm -hmm. and how we, can, how we can provide solutions to give my kids an opportunity to grow up in America that I grew up in and to allow this nation to continue to succeed, to continue to op offer new opportunities to new people. Some follow-ups here? Uh, yes. yes. Okay. Uh, Representative McLean has a committee he needs to go chair pretty quickly. So I'll, I'll keep this brief, I promise. Proceed. Thank you. Uh, so I looked up every single state, the 19 states that uh, have approved this, um, and many of the individual states have exceptionally high white populations, right? The highest being 90, um, 64, 62, 61%, 70%, 81%, 77%, 64%, 64%, 69%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 90%, 
-hmm. and in some of the states that wouldn't necessarily even agree or be able to um, have a resolution that came from their legislature, realize there, there would be a, a sizable number that might not ever do this resolution, mm -hmm. they're still going to have a place at the table, and they're still going to have equal votes to everyone else. Mm -hmm. So when we look at this as a, a full kind of method for all of the 50 states, delegates, again, selected delegates to get together, mm -hmm. I think you actually get a pretty good picture of, well, what's the answer going to be on these, again, specific and very, um, you know, tailored subjects and not things that can just be added to that um, so that it doesn't get, and you'll hear people say when it comes to convention of states, well, what about a runaway convention? What about someone who, you know, figures out how to take control of convention? It, it really doesn't matter. Whenever the, the states have said, we are only going to address these particular issues. And if you go back and look um, at other calls that have been made, you will find that there are other states that have made, you know, separate ones out, you know, outside the 19 or 20 that are there now. Um, Just a response, Chair? Uh, with apologies, I'm going to let the transportation, let's, I'm going to conclude okay. that and let's get the transportation committee. Uh, the sponsors are very willing to take any questions you might have if you want to email them. And uh, I expect having dealt with this issue in past general assemblies that we will have extensive testimony, both pro and con, uh, multiple sessions. So uh, that's my anticipation on this bill. So with apologies, uh, this will conclude uh, the first hearing on HR 3. Joining us today is Catherine Zamanik, who is the Regional Director for Convention of States Action, and one of her states is Ohio. Catherine, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, Catherine, this was a relatively short hearing by most standards, at least for our resolutions. Representatives Rorden McLean and Bernard Willis, our two House sponsors, made some opening remarks before taking questions from the members of the committee. And this was a sponsors only hearing, which is different than most of the hearings we see around the country. So Catherine, why don't you just brief our viewers on this hearing? What's the process? You know, how is it different than what we usually see? Tell us about the legislators who spoke and how did you think our legislative champions performed? Well, let's start with why Ohio is a bit different than other states. So they have to have this hearing. They have to allow the sponsors of the uh, either the bill or, in our case, the resolution to give testimony to the committee. That, that is the standard. So they don't have to have proponent hearing. They don't have to have opponent hearing if the chair and the um, leadership decides that they don't want to. However, we're very hopeful that we'll have those hearings. That'll be the next step. I think that both of our sponsors in the Ohio House did a tremendous job. I can't say enough about Representative Reardon McLean. He is a true champion of ours, and we're absolutely thrilled to have Representative Bernard Willis join his team to be a sponsor on this. In addition, we have 21 co-sponsors on this resolution in Ohio. So we're really excited about this. We've got some true champions. I, I think they both did an outstanding job. They appeared very knowledgeable on the issue. I think they handled the questions of, um, of the committee very, very well. They had answers to all those questions. And so we're just really proud of the work that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Catherine, after the opening remarks from our sponsors, there was the question portion where the committee members were, were allowed to ask questions of the sponsor. And there was one that stuck out to me that was uh, kind of bizarre. It was a, a comparison between the Civil War and January 6th. And then from there, that committee member then posited that the federal government is a quote unquote protector. Um, and you know, people can make that argument, but the problem is in the wake of the federal government and its centralization, people are victimized. You, you look at IRS targeting, NSA spying, you look at EPA regulations and how overburdensome they can be. And if you look at runaway debt and inflation, if you look at just the centralization of power in Washington, D.C., the American people are left behind and, and many times they're victimized. Um, Ken Ivory, a House representative from, from Utah, and he's a strong Convention of States supporter, he's compared the relationship of the federal government and state governments to tug of war. And that there needs to be tension between the federal government and the state government so that the American people are, are kept safe and so that they're protected, you know, specifically their rights. 
Uh, but what, what we've seen lately is that the federal government has strong armed the state governments and the states have not pushed back and they've just allowed uh, the American people to be uh, steamrolled. Uh, and it's it's creating this imbalance of power. And at Convention of States, we want to rebalance the power and, and encourage the states to use this power that they have in Article 5 to uh, put checks upon the federal government. And that's, that's what the founding fathers wanted. They wanted a system where one state or one uh, power would check the other. Uh, and so do you think that these this committee is receptive to this idea of checking the federal government, using their constitutional power to check the federal government? And do you see them uh, going along with restoring power to we the people? Well, I think it revealed a great deal about their knowledge, first of all, of federalism, right? Uh, you know, the power is supposed to be with the states and their questions were really leaning toward, well, they support a large centralized government. They should really understand the benefit of calling this convention will bring the power back to them and they are closest to the people. So you're absolutely right, Andrew. It, it is an infringement on the rights of the people when their own state legislators don't recognize that the power lies with them. And it just goes to show that we do have some educating to do of our state legislators, but that's, that's also part of the process of our grassroots movement is that we are out there trying to educate people on federalism and the power that Article 5 gives the state legislators. <clears throat> So Catherine, Ohio did once again what they seem to do best, which is hold hearings. I have personally had the pleasure of participating in that process and testifying there um, before committee in Ohio. And, you know, it just seems like with Ohio, it's a year round legislature, which is not the norm for state legislatures in America. And it has seemed like over the past several years in Ohio, our wonderful sponsors introduce our application, our resolution, and it gets a bunch of hearings, but not so many votes. They don't they don't take a lot of votes on things in Ohio, at least not with regard to our application. So tell our viewers where we are in the process in Ohio and specifically what you expect to happen next. Sure. So we do anticipate that there will be proponent hearing. We're not quite sure when that will happen. In fact, I'm waiting for the call today to see if they're actually going to schedule that soon because it's the holiday coming up uh, today or tomorrow would be the day where they'll decide that. And, and I'm hoping that we'll know in plenty of time to not only get our experts there to testify, but also to get the team prepared. And I'm so proud of this Ohio team because they have been strategically working on their testimony. They want to get in front of what they know the opponents of this will say. And um, they, they're, they've educated themselves, they've prepared themselves to answer any question that might come up in addition to that, to also get in front of uh, what the opponents will claim, right, that Article 5 can do. And you sort of address that with this idea that this is going to be a constitutional convention. No, it's a convention to propose amendments. And so we have to really make sure we stay in front of that and many other arguments. So then there, there will also be an opponent uh, hearing where the opponents of this will come in. And, um, and then ho we're hoping that that will be the last of the hearings and we'll be able to take a vote on this in committee. And just to give folks an idea of this committee, it has 13 members. That means we need seven yes votes. And we're working very hard on the legislators um, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, to, to get them to understand that this is to their advantage to pass this on so we can get a full floor vote in the House. The, the COS Ohio team, uh, Catherine, is, is frequently commented on as, as being one of the most active and organized teams in the nation. Uh, and your team has been working at this for, for several years. What's their secret uh, for persistently making um, strides towards final passage of our Article 5 legislation? 
Thanks for asking that question because I want to share something that they're doing. They really do think outside of the box when it comes to strategy. And one of the things that they're working on is what they call the municipality project. And this is um, this is just great. Uh, several of our, our strong supporters who are on the team decided that, you know, the, the government closest to the people is always um, best. And so they're they're talking to township boards, they're talking to village boards, to city councils, and they're saying, let us come in and talk to you. We'd like you to pass a non-binding COS resolution and support. And then they recognize that these folks talk to their state legislators, and if they can get the support of their municipalities and help them to understand the benefits to them as elected officials, then they will have a, a bigger influence on these state legislators. And they're doing this all over the state of Ohio. Uh, the Ohio team is, is um, a team of professionals. Um, they're, they're thinkers. They're, they're so strong. And um, they, they really do uh, have great leadership in Ohio. And so I'm just honored to actually um, watch them work and be a part of what they do in Ohio. So thanks for that question. Well, and I can just second and confirm that, Catherine, they are a wonderful team. I've had the privilege of meeting them several times and working with them. And I'm just so proud of that Ohio team. And I just also want to make it clear to everyone watching that when we talk about our Ohio team, we're talking about a team of volunteers. And these are yes. people who love their country and it's their love and concern for their country and America's future that has them dedicating their time and their talents. And they're not paid. They're doing it because they care and they want to be good citizens. So I'm so grateful for them. Now, Catherine, you have um, some other hot states. And so I just want to give you an opportunity to brief us on any other states in your region and what they're doing right now. Thanks. Yeah, we're really hopping in what we refer to as the flyover states. And one of those states is Iowa. Um, we are, again, we're, we're blessed with two really strong sponsors in both the Iowa House and the Senate. We've passed in committee in um, both House and Senate, and we just need it to move to a full floor vote. We're really optimistic that we can get it done in Iowa and looking forward to January 2024. Uh, they do have the first caucus in the nation in Iowa. And so that kind of gets uh, everybody uh, focused on that. But as soon as that's done, January 15th, we're going to hit it hard in Iowa. In addition to that, I'm also blessed to work in Idaho with a great team there. And um, Rick Santorum has been just a uh, instrumental in, in helping us out in Idaho. And um, it looks really, really good in Idaho. And um, we're hoping that early January, perhaps February, we can also get it passed out in Idaho. And by the way, they haven't filed in quite a few years in Idaho, but it doesn't mean that that team hasn't been working exceptionally hard to get plenty of legislators on board and to get the support they need um, from the grassroots and citizens out in Idaho. So I'm really optimistic. Yep, I'm busy, but it, it, it really warms my heart to work with all these great grassroots. Catherine, before we let you go, uh, if there's viewers right now who want to learn more about the Ohio team or if they live in Ohio and they want to get involved, what can they do to contribute and, and where should they go? Sure. So um, obviously you want to go to conventionstates.com and we've got a button at the bottom of that page that says take action. You can sign up to be a volunteer that works an hour a week or a volunteer uh, like many of ours that work 20 to 30 hours a week. Um, we, we would be thrilled to have you. Someone from the Ohio team will reach out to you. Um, we, we always need district captains. We always need volunteer activists who are willing to get out there. And um, we have a great mentorship program on the Ohio team. So don't be afraid to get involved thinking you won't know what to do because we definitely have folks who will guide you along the way. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Catherine. Always a pleasure to have you on the program. We're gonna have to have you back, of course, when you uh, when you make more progress in Ohio or when you make more progress in any of your other states. So. 
Thanks again, Catherine. God bless you. Love to join you. Thanks for having me today. All right, Rita. Well, it's time for us to sign off. Uh, Don't forget new episodes of Crossroad with Rita debut Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Tune in for the battle cry with Mark Meckler on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Please leave us a five-star review on our podcast because that's how we reach more people and we spread a message of hope that way. So please, please make sure that you're leaving us a five-star review. And of course, tune in. Really important stuff with Mark and really important stuff with Rita. And we hope that everyone will join us again for our next episode where we will be interviewing John Malcolm, who is a constitutional scholar with the Heritage Foundation. He participated in the Convention of States Foundation simulation, and it changed his perspective on the entire movement. So you won't want to miss what he has to say next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Now we've got a country to save, so let's get back to work. Thanks for watching. Thank you for listening to today's program. For information, please visit www.conventionofstates.com forward slash pod. That's www.conventionofstates.com forward slash pod.